Tonight I want to begin and I want to ask us a question, each of us, a real question to consider tonight. And that question is this, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Now that is, that is a big deal. How do you, and I want you to think about that, I want you to evaluate that tonight. How do you see Jesus? You see, how you respond to Jesus and how you value Jesus and how you walk with Jesus, how you live in relation with Jesus, how you live in light of Jesus, all of that depends on how you see Jesus. Now, here is the problem. I, I think most of us have far too small, have far too anemic, have far too meager an understanding of Jesus. And I believe that. I think most of us have far too small of an understanding of Jesus. I think most of us today are missing the magnitude, the magnificence, and the majesty of our Savior, Jesus. And so today we come along in our Christian world and we can say we love Jesus but we have no real desire to know Jesus, no burning desire to know Jesus. We come along in our world today and we say, well, we love Jesus, but we really have no remorse for not walking in obedience to Jesus. Really, sin doesn't bother us all that much to enter into sin, to entertain sin doesn't really bother us all that much. Today, we, we, we can say we love Jesus, but we're not radically obsessed with leading others to Jesus. And we say, well, it's fine. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. I don't, I don't want to look too crazy. And we're not radically obsessed with leading others to Jesus. And so here's the deal tonight. Here's the reality tonight, plain and simple. An anemic view of Jesus results in an anemic desire for Jesus. And I think that's the truth of our age. I think that's the truth of our day and, and maybe for all days. An anemic view of Jesus results in an anemic desire for Jesus. And so again, I ask the question tonight, how do you see Jesus? Today, over the course of your day, have you thought about him? Today, in the course of your day, have you considered Jesus today? Have you lived your life in honor of Jesus today, if we were to ask those that were watching you, those that were following you around today, would they say, yes, your life brought honor to Jesus today? How do you see Jesus? Well, the answer is none of us, not one of us, none of us sees how truly great he is. And so I'll just tell you the answer tonight is to keep looking at him, to keep looking to him, to keep our eyes, as the author of Hebrews says, fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. The answer tonight is to keep seeing Jesus, to keep seeing Jesus. Well, let me just say how great that that's what we're doing how great that that's what these 100 days are about. How great to see the opportunity we have on the 28th night to see our Lord Jesus. Tonight, our message is entitled, Oh, How Marvelous. Oh, How Marvelous. 
Tonight we've made it all the way to John chapter 6. Tonight verses 1 through 14. John chapter 6, tonight verses 1 through 14. Oh, how marvelous. I'd ask if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 6, beginning in the first verse. God's word says this. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have them sit down. Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for this Friday night, this 28th night. We're thankful for the opportunity we've had to hear from you to see you. Lord, I pray that that continues tonight. I pray that tonight will be a marvelous night, a supernatural night when you speak, when you lead. I pray that our, that our ears are open, our hearts are open, that our minds are prepared. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight, that you would lead us tonight, that you would talk to us tonight, that we would be instructed tonight. Lord, I pray that the fruit of this is that you would be known and that your name would be glorified. Lord, I pray that there's some that, that are listening tonight, hearing tonight, watching, that do not know you. I pray that tonight in the hearing of the good news, this very night is the night of their salvation. Lord, we're thankful again for this opportunity. We're thankful for your word. Most of all, we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Starting John chapter 6 is the record of Jesus' feeding of the multitude. Now, if you remember, Jesus ends chapter 5, and he says that his miracles will testify to him. That's how he concludes the fifth chapter. These miracles, they will testify to his being God. They will testify to the truthfulness of his claim that he is the Messiah. Well, tonight we read one of Jesus' greatest miracles. 
It is great in practice. It is a tremendous miracle. And it is great, and we're going to see this over the next few nights, in understanding. It is the only miracle other than the resurrection recorded in all four Gospels. I think that's a big deal. I think that is very telling. It is the only miracle other than the resurrection recorded in all four Gospels. From this miracle, there are coming great discussions, great revelations, really the rest of chapter 6. We're going to see that in the next few nights. Well, tonight we look closely at the miracle itself. Now, we're going to have some great discussions coming from this miracle, but tonight we're going to look at the miracle itself. As we do tonight, my hope, my prayer is that we will see this very night how marvelous our Savior is. The greatest thing we can do tonight is see Jesus. And my prayer tonight is that we would see how marvelous our Savior is. How do you see Jesus? All right, verse 1 tonight. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Since the events of chapter 5, six months at least have passed, perhaps even more, maybe as much as approaching a year, but at least six months have elapsed. In that time period, Herod Antipas has killed John the Baptist. He had his head cut off. John the Baptist has been killed. In that time period, in those months, the disciples have been preaching the kingdom of God, the truth of Jesus across Galilee. The other gospels record those events. In response, there is a great interest and curiosity in Jesus, about Jesus. In fact, we read in the other gospel accounts that Herod Antipas is now himself looking for Jesus. He would like to find and talk to Jesus. Now, on top of all those things, from the other gospel accounts, we know that Jesus is upset in the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. And in fact, the Bible says that he is looking to go someplace secluded. We know from the other accounts that he is tired, having been pressed in and sought after by these large crowds. We know that he goes to the less populated side of the Sea of Galilee to get away. And so when we start this verse, that is what he is doing. He's trying to find space. He is trying to have time, really to rest. It is then ironic what happens on this side of the Sea of Galilee. He goes there to escape. He goes there to mourn his cousin. He goes there to find peace and to rest with his disciples. And then we see what happens. Listen to verse 1 again. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Verse 2. A large crowd followed him because they saw signs which he was performing on those who were sick. In verse 2, it says, even on this side, the crowds find him. Now, the other gospels report that when he got there, the crowds were already there. He goes to escape, and when he arrives there, the crowds have beaten him there. He's not going to find space. He's, he's not going to get to rest. Now notice, an especially disappointing, if not tiring truth 
of this crowd is that they're not there to meet the Messiah. They're not there to learn of the Messiah. They're not there in response to the preaching of the disciples. No, the Bible says they are only there because they saw the healings. Now, it might have been an encouraging thing to find a crowd that wanted to know about Jesus, that were interested in following Jesus, repenting of their sins. But the Bible says they're not there in response to the proclamation of the disciples. They are there only because they saw the healings. Now, that means two things. Either they're there to seek healing, maybe they brought somebody with them, or most likely they are there for the show of healing. We've heard about these things. That's all the talk, all the rage, all the buzz. And so we are here to see what we can see as well. All right, verse 3. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his Disciples. Now it's interesting here in verse 3, he still seeks to be with his disciples. Uh, he still wants to spend time with them to teach them. The, the crowd's already there. They're not going to get much rest, but he, he seeks to be with them. Now, uh, not only is he tired, they are also tired having been traveling and preaching as well. So they, re, they, re, they recede to the mountain, Jesus and the disciples. Verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Let me read verse 4 again. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Now verse 4 is a very interesting verse. It, it seems out of place. Now, here it is in the middle of this account. It seems out of place. But understand, John sets it precisely here as a point of reference. The Bible says, John reports, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Now see this, understand this. The Jews lived with this constant reminder of the Passover. And in their Jewish practice, in their Jewish life, it was a, it was a constant part of their life. Either they had just celebrated the Passover and so it was a memory to them. Maybe it was last month or a couple months ago. They have just celebrated the Passover, and so it is in their memory. Or they are getting ready to celebrate the Passover, and so it is in their vision. It is in their view. Now, for us, if we look at the Passover in our understanding... Most likely, we think instantly of the lamb. We think about the Passover lamb. And by its blood put over the doorpost, they are delivered. Well, they saw that, but they actually saw much more than that. They didn't just see that piece of the event, but in their understanding, they saw and they remembered all of the Exodus event. And so understand tonight, when they observed the Passover, they remembered God's deliverance from bondage. Not just one piece of it, they remembered all of it. When they observed the Passover, they remembered God's faithfulness not to forget His people. When they observed the Passover, they remembered God's defense at the Red Sea. They saw how God acted there in their defense. When they observed the Passover, they remembered God's provision along the journey. Food to eat. More than that, 
Clothes that would not wear out. And so when they remembered the Passover, they remembered God as the provider of that journey. When they observed the Passover, they remembered God's blessing of a great leader, Moses. They revered Moses. And so see this, get this, when they observed the Passover, either they had just observed it or they were always getting ready to observe it, but when they observed the Passover, it reminded them of the greatness of God. It reminded them of the goodness of God. It reminded them of the power of God, and that was always right before them. It mattered how they saw God. And in their life and in God's wise plan, he kept it before them. It mattered how they saw God. Now, before we move from here, I want you to think with me. It is not coincidental that John slips this in right here. They are again by a sea. They are again about to see the power of God. They are again about to see the provision of God, even food again. And in their life and in God's wise plan, it matters how they see Jesus. All right, verse 5. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Verse 5, Jesus looks up in the crowd is pouring out. They're trying to find a place where they can be alone, but the, the crowd has found them, and the crowd is pouring out. Now, Philip is from Bethsaida. That was the closest town, and there's, there's no telling why he picked Philip, but maybe it's because he was from the closest town. Maybe he would run to that town and get something to eat if the Sonic didn't close at 5. Verse 6. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now understand in verse 6, we see here in this account, he's not expecting a solution from the disciples. He knows what he's about to do. He, he knows all of that. But the Bible says he is testing Philip. Now I want you to see this. I want to show you this. And I think it's important. We're about to understand this tonight. God tests us. Do you know that? God tests us. And we can't understand it sometimes, and it's hard sometimes. And we, we, like, we wish it went a different way, and we'd like to give up sometimes. But God tests his people. God tests his disciples. Now, I want you to hear this. The Bible tells us very plainly, if you belong to him, if you are a disciple of Jesus, God will test you. But I want you to hear this. God's tests are to build us. God's tests 
are to grow us. God's tests are to produce in us a greater faith. They're to produce in us a greater trust. God's tests are to result in a quicker obedience from us. Friends, I want you to be certain tonight, God tests us not to tear us all apart, not to tear us down, not to grind us up. He tests us not to condemn us, but God always tests us that he would grow us. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen, believer, listen to this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, Christian. When you encounter various trials, I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't want it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we see here, Jesus is seeking to build up his disciples. From the timetable, he's getting about a year away from the cross. He's getting to the point he's about to leave them to take up his mission. He is trying to build, to strengthen his disciples. Now we're going to see just how. Let me read verse 6 again. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One denarii is, is a day's pay, one day's pay, the equivalent. And so this is talking about 200 days pay talking about eight months worth of pay. And he says that would not be sufficient. That would not be enough. Now listen, number one, nobody's going to have that much food if they went to anybody's town. They weren't going to find that much food. But number two, if they could find the food, they didn't have enough money to pay for it. Verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Andrew tries, he gets in on it, verse nine. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Another gospel record says there are two small fish. We might say, well, maybe they were pretty big. Two small fish. And so Andrew looks around. He wants to help out. He finds this kid, this young boy, and he has five loaves of bread and two small fish. He actually says... But what are these for so many people? It's not going to work. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Bible says there were 5,000 men. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the total estimate by the scholars that look into all this, uh, there would have also been women and children with them. The total estimate, they say, is between 14 and 20,000 people. So 5,000 men, yes, but between 14 and 20,000 total people. Now in the Gospel of Mark, it says that they would sat down, he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And so I want you to picture this tonight. The hillside is covered. 
Look at this. Imagine this. They are everywhere. There's a group of 50, and there's a group of 50, and there's a group of 100, and there's a group of 100. Everywhere you look, 20,000 people. And then the Bible says, and then they sat down. That means they're waiting. They're listening. They're waiting for something. Everywhere you look, there's all these people. Now stay with me. What is the test? What does he want? What, what is the test? What, is it, what, what are these disciples to get out of this? See this tonight. Looking around and hearing the voices of, of 20,000 people, hearing the murmurs of the crowd. Everywhere you look, there's another group. Everywhere you look, there's another group. In fact, you can't look in any direction. You can't look anyway, anywhere. There's not a whole bunch of people. And you look over all these people and you look down at these two small fish. See this tonight. There is no answer outside of God. There is no hope outside of God. There is no possibility of a resolution, none outside of God. I don't care how much money they can scrape together. I don't know what town they run to. There is no possibility of a resolution outside of God. Men can't do anything. God will have to act. Folks, I want you to see this tonight. It is the same as the Red Sea leaving Egypt. There's the sea on one side. They're boxed in on the other side. And there's the fierce army of Egypt of Pharaoh coming on the other side. There is no way out. God will have to act. It's the same as the walls of Jericho. They can't do it. They can't take this city. It's too fortified for them. God will have to act. It's the same as David and the Philistine giant. He is but a youth, and he's been a killer since his youth. He can't do that. This isn't logical. God will have to act. Listen to me, friend. It's the same as our matter of salvation. Men, when it comes to our salvation, we are helpless. We are hopeless. There's nothing we can do, and God will have to act. And in the middle of the, that realization... Remember, Jesus has just been telling them he is God. He's no less God. He's no different God. He is God. And for his disciples, how they see him, listen to me, moving forward will make all the difference. And so right here on this hill by the sea, Jesus shows them nothing is impossible to him. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is out of reach for him. He shows them, listen, you can keep going back to the Passover or you can look and see me. How we see Jesus matters. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. And having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. He didn't just make a whole bunch. He kept breaking it off. He kept handing it out. He kept breaking it off. He kept handing it out. It says, as much as they wanted. I think it's funny. Some early theologians, upon reading this account, said they each got a pinch. And that's how they explain it. It's symbolic. It's like our Lord's Supper. 
They each got a pinch. It was not literal. It never was supposed to be. It is symbolic. Listen to me tonight, friend. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says as much as they wanted 20,000, I don't know how many people, as much as they wanted, there was an abundance. It was overrunning them. I think I'll have another fish and another roll. Listen, brother, you can have two. There's an abundance. Verse 12. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He doesn't want anything to be lost. Jesus says, get the pieces so nothing will be lost. Verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 13 shows you the magnitude of this miracle. They feed 16 to 20,000 people, and they got enough for lunch tomorrow. We don't know what we're going to do. They got enough for lunch tomorrow. They got, looks like more than they got for lunch tomorrow. Verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which had been performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 14, they say this is the prophet Moses had told of a prophet that would come in the book of Deuteronomy. They was actually talking about the Messiah. They probably missed that. But they say, surely this is the prophet. Here's the deal tonight. I'm going to wrap it up right here tonight. Listen very carefully. When there is no way, Jesus is the way. When it is impossible to Jesus, nothing is impossible. When there is no hope of a resolution, listen, Jesus is the hope and he provides the resolution. When man is stuck, nothing he can do. When man is hopeless, Jesus is the Savior. Let me ask the question again. How do you see Jesus tonight? How do you see Jesus? Is he God Almighty? Is he the powerful creator of all things? Is he able tonight? Can he do the impossible tonight? We sit here and talk about all the things that are impossible. Do you know he can do the impossible? Is he living tonight? Is he active tonight? Is he the king tonight? Is he the gracious giver of abundance tonight? Is he the abundant giver of grace tonight? Is he love tonight? Is he the defeater of death tonight? Is he the victor tonight? Is he the hope of men? Jesus shows them and he shows us. I am. So how do you see Jesus tonight? How do we see Jesus tonight? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this reminder. We're thankful for this powerful demonstration that you gave first to them and through your word to us. You are the king. You are life. You are the light. You're risen from the dead. You're the Savior. You're the hope of men. You are. And yes, we can look back and we can see the Old Testament pattern that was pointing to you. We can see the Old Testament pattern that was leading to you. But then we can see you, our hope. 
our Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for this reminder tonight. I, I pray, Lord, that we would understand who you are. I pray that our picture of you, how we see you tonight, has grown exponentially tonight, Lord. Help us to see you as you are. And then as we see you, help, help us to trust you and to follow you and obey you, to shun and to turn from sin and to live lives that bring glory to you, Lord. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you. Lord, I, I pray for some that are hearing this tonight that do not know you. I pray that tonight in the hearing of a risen Savior, of hope for sinners, that tonight they'd turn to you, they would trust you. I pray that their response will bring great glory to you tonight. Lord, we thank you for, for that, for that potential tonight. Lord, we know the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, so I pray as it goes out, Lord, that many would be saved. We come and we tell you, Lord, we're thankful for this picture tonight. We praise you for it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service to a time of response, a time of, of invitation tonight. And I want to tell you, the first thing we need to see Christ is, as is our Savior. Do you see him as your Savior tonight? We have no hope for our sin problem. We're stuck, guilty, condemned in our sin outside of Jesus Christ. And worse than being hemmed in between an army and a sea is being stuck in your sin without a Savior. But we have a Savior in Jesus. The Bible says if we will trust Him, turn to Him in faith, we will be saved. We will, you will, I will be saved. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, trust Him tonight. He'll forgive you tonight. He'll renew you tonight. He'll restore you tonight. Trust Jesus tonight. Trust Jesus if you're here and you've trusted him, but you've never fought on believers' baptism, we want to give you an opportunity to come and, and be a testimony as well, to testify to what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. The Bible says it's always by immersion, always after the point that we're saved, signifying what we believe of Christ, signifying what, what's happened to us in Christ. And so if you're here and you've trusted Christ, maybe recently, maybe somewhere back in the past, but you've never fought in believers' baptism, you come as well. It'll be a great day of testimony celebrating our Savior, Jesus. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, you come as well. Together we'll uphold His Word, preach His gospel, all for His glory. You come as well. Maybe you want to come tonight on this 28th night and you want to pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to pray with me. Maybe we don't even know what's going on, but the Bible says that, that God cares. He knows. He sees. He's powerful. He's living. He's active. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. Maybe you want to come pray with me or pray here in humility at this altar. I want to ask that no one stir around or head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.